Thessalonians uh, chapter 4. And um, today is a different kind of a message. It's, uh, it's going to be dealing with a, a topic that's pretty uh, difficult. And uh, uh, very rarely do I have two points to a sermon. But there's a whole lot of information I may or may not be giving you just depending on how things go and and uh, but but I'm addressing this morning when a Christian dies and kind of when you do that you have to address when a non-Christian dies and the reason I'm dealing with this topic this morning is because it's next how do I choose what we're going to talk about well, you saw what I talked about last week, this chapter 4. And this is what Paul wanted to share with the church in Thessalonica. And so uh, this morning we will be looking at the last part of uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. And I'm, I'm sure I'm not going to answer all your questions about grieving and death, uh, that's not my intent. I've been doing this a long time, and I, it really kind of started for me when I was in the seventh grade. When I was in the seventh grade, I went to Hughes Junior High, and really for the first time in my entire life, I, um, I knew someone, or I kind of knew someone who died. And there was a guy named Johnny Grimes. Johnny Grimes was, I think, in the eighth grade. I think I was in the seventh. He might have been in the ninth. But he was older than me, and uh, he had a girlfriend, and I was aware of his girlfriend. And uh, they were killed in a motorcycle accident. And I can remember really for the first time that was someone close to me, not really close, but I knew them, and I can even remember going to the funeral, and uh, it was just a huge thing. I mean, you're in junior high, you're very impressionable. Uh, I remember one of the songs was from the group Bread. Y'all remember the group Bread? I can't remember the, which song it was, but I can remember being there. And, and really, for the first time in my life, I realized that uh, someone my age could, could die. And so, but anyway... Uh, moved on from there, went off to Baylor University, and I was at Baylor University, and and um, I had to take some sociology classes. And one of the classes that was offered was a class called Death and Dying. Tillman Rodeball was the name of the professor. And you see, that sounds like a, a, a depressing class. Yes, it kind of was. He was one of the most popular uh, professors there, incredibly interesting, but incredibly kind of depressing. I had to study funeral homes and how they worked. I had to just study grieving the five, the, you know, the different process of grieving. I can remember the opening day of class where he came in and he talked about if you had to decide how you would die, how would you die? And and I remember. That you know, you, it's funny what you remember. I'm 65, so college was a long time ago. And I remember him talking, well, I think, class, if I could dive out of an airplane, I would see how many somersaults I could do before I hit. 
I thought that was kind of odd, to be honest. But uh, anyway, the entire time we studied death, we read about it, we visited places, it was depressing. And then I, I went into the ministry, and I went to my first church in Horatio, Arkansas. I'd only done one, really two, one and a half funerals. I had participated when I was at Baylor in my grandmother's. I spoke at my grandmother's funeral. And then when I was a youth pastor, I did the funeral for a kid named Keith Dudley who had died of cancer. And man, I can't imagine that I brought much comfort. But I can remember going on to seminary, graduating from seminary, and going to my first church in Horatio, Arkansas. And this is no joke. I prayed hard that no one would die. Because I'd have to do their funeral. When you're the pat, you're only, you're only, you're only guy on staff, you know. And it was a couple years before anyone died and I was grateful. And then I went to St. Louis, Missouri. When I got to St. Louis, Missouri, there was a very active member of my church who owned the funeral home. And he employed me as kind of the chaplain for the city of St. Louis in that area. And I did so many funerals, and you'll hear about a couple in this a little bit, uh, that I had, to, uh, I had to claim it on my taxes. And it really, for me, was a source of income. I had four kids. I was poor, couldn't afford to live in, in, uh, in St. Louis. And, and really... I, I did every kind of imaginal funeral that you could think of. And then through the years in Dallas, Monroe, here, um, I've done so many funerals and weddings. I actually like funerals better. People tend to pay attention more at a funeral. That I can't even remember them. I mean, I have, it's, I, I don't know how many, it's just a very, very large amount. But one thing I will tell you about doing that many funerals over and over again, that when I have to come down to the front, and usually the casket is here, if there's a casket, I stand here and I have to watch, and I've been doing this since I was, you know, at, at Baylor, I have to watch families grieve. You, you say, what's the worst part about a funeral? It's standing right at the foot of the casket. And, and, and I wish I could say it didn't bother me. But every time, every time I did a funeral, I had to picture myself someday being in that casket. It's reality. And, and, and so I've had a lot of, a lot of experience with it. Uh, I've also had the unpleasant pleasure of, of burying my mom and my dad since I've been here and Julie's mom. And, uh, so I know about it. And I can honestly say the thing that gives me the most hope is this passage of scripture here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Verses 13 through 18. So let's get started. It says, and now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen. Another translation says, I want you to be informed about what will happen to those believers who have died. So you will not grieve like people who have no hope. 
For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will raise from their graves, then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then, and I love this part, you might underline it, highlight it, then we will be with the Lord forever. So, encourage each other with these words. So let's look at when a Christian dies. Number one, when a Christian dies, we grieve differently. And we need to know some things. The trouble is, most people don't know very much about hope, uh, the hope of Jesus Christ. They don't know very much about uh, where they're headed or why they're heading there. But we as believers should be different. We should know what's going to happen when we die. We need to know what's happened to our loved ones who've already died. And we see here that that Paul is writing to this church in Thessalonica to help them understand death. Now, you've got to remember the context. Acts 17, in about 50, 51 A.D., the church in Thessalonica began. Paul, Silas, and Timothy were on a mission journey, and they are headed to this part of the world, and they started going into the temple, and they started sharing with the Greeks and the Gentiles, and they started sharing with the Jews about the good news of Jesus Christ. They looked at the Old Testament and said, The Messiah has come. His name is Jesus. He has defeated death. And the tragedy is is that, that Paul was only at Thessalonica for about three weeks to maybe three months. For sure three weeks. And so in three weeks, he had to try to teach these Christians as much as he could about life and death and Jesus and the future. And one of the things... One of the things Paul said all the time, he said all the time, you better be ready, I'm coming back. All the time, he said, you better be ready, I'm coming back. Okay? And so the early church had this, this, this idea that he might come back today or tomorrow, and they were actually looking for him to come back. And I would say the same thing applies for you and me today. You better be ready because he's coming back. I don't believe you have to wait any longer. I believe any time he's ready, he's coming. And I'll show you another passage that applies to that. But what we see here is these are new Christians. They don't have a New Testament. Why? It's being written and they are included in that process. The teachings of Paul. 
The teachings of Jesus are being compiled. And so all they had were the oral testimonies about Jesus. And so they did not know much. They were babies in Christ. They did not know much of what the Bible taught at all. And so about a year after he left that church, he wrote this letter. And it was written to try to explain to them some problems they were worried about. One of the problems they were worried about, they had only been a church a year. They had already just started. But what about some of their friends, maybe family, who had become Christians and died? And Paul keeps saying, Jesus is going to come back. You better be ready. What if he comes back and they're dead? Do they get to go? Now, you say, that's a simple question. Well, it wasn't to them. Would their loved ones who died get to go when Jesus came back? Or would they miss out on the the opportunity? And so Paul wrote this letter to explain to them that when he came back, he would come back for everybody. There's going to be no one left behind. I don't know if you saw the story on the news last week of the Navy SEALs. And one of the guys fell off into the water. And what did the buddy do? Jumped in with him. Why? Because no one is alone. Well, the picture of the New Testament is when Christ comes back, we're all going. Those who have died, those who are alive, we're all going. And he was addressing that worry, that fear that they had. Now, unfortunately, people today, and I learned this in that class, don't like to talk about death. And the funeral homes even disguise their language. They, we make it look beautiful. You know, in the old days, when someone died, they had a room in the house, and people would come to the house, and death was a very... Normal part of life, but we've made it as something that you go over there and, you you know, it's a different thing. But it was very natural in their day. And and these Christians were, were trying to figure out death. And here's an important thing to understand. Some of the, the new Christians were Gentiles. They had all kinds of views about the afterlife. They had all kinds of different gods. Some of the... Uh, people who were in the church who were Christians were Sadducees. They were Jews who did not believe in the resurrection. And then there were some who were Pharisees who believed there would be a resurrection. So Paul is writing to a group of people that have a very mixed up view of what life after death is all about. And so he writes this letter, and he writes it very compassionately to say there is this thing called hope. There is this place called heaven. I I, I looked at the statistics this week. 75% of Americans, according to Gallup, believe in heaven. The Pew Research, which is a different one, they discovered that 73% or 72% Believe in heaven. In other words, the majority of Americans believe there is a heaven. Now, what I thought was kind of interesting is that only 58% believe in hell. (laughs) Which, to me, it's kind of crazy. Why would you believe in heaven if there would no need to be believe in heaven if there wasn't a hell? I mean, do you see what I'm saying? 
But but in America, everybody wants... And I tell you, I've been in Montgomery County, it'll be six years in February. Everybody's going to heaven. They've either said a prayer, filled out a card, been baptized. Everybody's going. No one's going to hell. Now, I'm not trying to be... Because I do not believe God wants anybody to go to hell. Please understand me, okay? I do not believe that. But the thing that I want you to see is that most Americans believe in a heaven. Now, if a person is an atheist, they do not. And some agnostics do not. They do not believe in any kind of the afterlife. As a matter of fact, the first time... I ever encountered someone who did not believe in the afterlife was a guy on my tennis team. He was from Brownsville, Texas. His name was Loopy, and I was sharing with Loopy about why I believed in Jesus Christ and, and going to heaven. And I asked him one time, I said, Loopy, and he was Loopy uh, in a lot of ways. I said, do you believe? What do you believe about is going to happen when you die. And here's no joke what he said. I believe that when I die, I'm just not going to exist. He says, it's going to be like uh, they put me in a jar and put me on a shelf and I'm just on the shelf. That's it. No existence, no feeling, no life. I said, okay. More and more people tend to have that view today. Hey, For most Americans that are not believers, they believe death is like turning your TV off. That's all, folks. Just it. Uh, So Loopy was the first person that I ever had to deal with. Now, you need to know this. The most difficult sermons to ever preach are those sermons that you know almost 100% they're not a believer in Jesus Christ. Um, Those are the ones that keep me up at night. Now, when I do a funeral, very seldom do I say much about the individual unless I know 150% that that person really did believe and lived it and all that. I either have to... I remember one time... I might have said something about a person being a good father, and I found out he wasn't such a good father. <laughs> so you, you're, you're very careful about what you say. But let me tell you a very hurtful death that I had to do a funeral. You know, since I've been in the uh, ministry, I'm kind of have become our family's pastor. And so when people die, aunts, uncles, grandparents, I'm the one they call on, and I've buried very dear Christian family members. But I, I'm, I have a cousin uh, who I did his funeral right before, right before I came here. I grew up with him and I used to share my faith with him. And he was an agnostic. That means he believed there was a God, but you couldn't know him personally. He grew up, he's a little bit older than me, and he was kind of a hippie. He used to make fun of me uh, because of my beliefs. I would share the gospel. I had a cousin that shared the gospel with him. And, and, and I mean, he just rejected it. There's no question where he stood with Jesus. Well, he got cancer and uh, suffered greatly. And, and uh, he passed away. 
And my aunt, who outlived him, uh, asked me to do the, the funeral. And the story about my aunt and my thoughts to you is I love my aunt dearly. I did her funeral too. But I can remember her changing her whole theology that she went from you had to believe in Jesus Christ to everybody's going to heaven. Because when she found out her son did not believe in Jesus Christ, she changed what she believed to get him in. Um, that's the temptation when you have a family member who doesn't um, know Christ. You, the temptation is you get them in if you have to change. You can't do that, people. Can't. I guess you can. Um, and so when I did his, his funeral, it was a very difficult thing for me. But what did I do? My whole goal when I do a funeral for someone who doesn't know uh, Jesus is my whole goal is teach them about Jesus and point them towards Jesus because that's hope. When you're looking at death, when you've lost a loved one, you have to process it. And so uh, I did his funeral and I did her funeral and it was very difficult for me. But I did the same thing that I always want to do and it's to point people to Jesus. I was in St. Louis and I uh, had another difficult situation. And I had a, uh, uh, a guy that had been in a gay lifestyle with a, the, um, the um, gossip colonist for the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. And he'd committed suicide. It was awful. Awful. Family went to my church. Awful. Awful. I'll never forget, before the funeral, Robin, uh, one of the family members, called me and said, Hey, Pastor, whatever you can't do, whatever you do, you can't mention Jesus uh, because his uh, friend is going to be there and he's Jewish. <laughs> Tough deal. So I, I replied to her, I said, Robin, I will be extremely gracious, but I can't do a funeral without mentioning Jesus. There's no, there's no hope. There's no. And so I went there and, and I shared with a group of people that were having to think with death about how not to think about death, how to think about eternal life. Another time I'm in St. Louis, Missouri, and... Uh, I got a call to do a funeral for an 800-pound guy who was a biker. And, you know, I, I just walked into a lot of these situations because I was the, the city uh, or the area pastor. And I'll never forget, <laughs> you know, I'm back in the little hiding room where they put me before the funeral started. And I'm sitting back there listening and I knew that this was a difficult funeral. And I'm listening to the music that they're playing before I come out to preach. And it was a song by the Grateful Dead called Trying to Get Over to the Other Side. You can't get much more depressing than that because it was very depressing. So you know what I did? I told them how to get to the other side. <laughs> you have a choice. And when I walked out there, it was unreal. I mean, we're talking big-time bikers. But my goal, I saw people who needed hope. You, you, you need to understand that it's never easy to do a, a funeral for anybody because every time you're there, you're forced 
You're forced to deal with your own mortality. Um, doing my mom and my dad were the most difficult. But I also looked at it this way. How could I let anybody else do it? My mom raised me to know Christ. It was because of my mom and dad that I came to know Christ. And so therefore, I had to do their funeral. Julie uh, and I were... Well, I was with both my mom, dad, and Julie's mom when they had died. People say, well, there's nothing. Listen, I've done enough alive one moment, dead one moment to know you go somewhere. When a body, when a person's spirit lives their body, there is not a person there. It's just a body. <laughs> you can try to explain it in any way, but they go somewhere. It's reality. And so Paul says at the end of that verse, it, 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 you need to not miss it. He says, believers grieve, but we grieve, we grieve with hope. And the hope in the, in the language is not a, I hope so, it's a, it's a done deal. You can't see it in the Greek, but in the Greek, the hope that I have in Christ is a done deal. The way we use the word hope, it's I hope so in our culture. But you have a choice to grieve with hope or to grieve without hope. Now, when my cousin died, it was tough. I just trusted Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge Him in all your ways and He will make your paths. So what I did is I just held on to Jesus. I didn't try to figure it out. I had shared with Him nicely. But He chose not to. God loved Him dearly. So you need to understand that we grieve. And I'll talk about that in a second. But we grieve with hope. Now, uh, you look at the next part, we need to be informed, and I love it. Because in verses uh, 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 14, you have the key. If you're here this morning and you don't have hope, here's how you have hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. Our hope is only in Jesus Christ, that he lived, died, took our place, forgave our sins. He defeated death, and because he defeated death, I can defeat death. That's my hope. It's not Baptist, it's not Methodist, it's not charismatic, it's not Presbyterian, it's in Jesus. If you don't believe that he defeated death, you're not going to defeat death. That's bottom line. If you believe he defeated death, you have hope. And then he says this, and you don't need to worry about your loved ones. He says, he says, we need to tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet ahead of those who have died. And then it says, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout. What's he going to shout? Just a, just a thought. I think he may be saying arise. I don't know. Get up. Victory time. I don't know. I can't prove that. But he'll have a shout. And then the voice of the archangel. There will be angels coming when Jesus comes. And then the trumpet call. There's going to be a trumpet, y'all. They use trumpets not for music, but to announce a, 
a dignified guest. It is going to be a big deal when Jesus comes back. And your loved one and mine, they're going to go first. First, the believers who died will rise from the grave. And then, and then the good stuff. Then, together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then, we will party forever. It's a reunion. Now, here's what you're thinking. It's not your family reunion. It's your heavenly family. And you go, to, you go to John 14 and it says right now, Jesus is getting the room ready. The room, not in a mansion. That's a mistranslation. You're not going to have your own mansion. He's getting the big house ready and he's getting your room ready because as the family of God, we will be one family again because of Christ. And Jesus is just waiting on the Father to say, go get your bride. It could happen right now. It might not work out on your charts, but I can guarantee you in the Scripture it could happen right now. And if He did, it's time to go home to family. It's, 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 it's together. I can just imagine when I get to heaven, you know, you can make up your own thoughts of what it's going to be, new heaven, new earth, whatever. But I long to hear my dad laughing. Now, he won't be laughing as, oh, it's the Ashburn family. No, it's the family of God. I'll hear my dad laughing. I'll see my family. But you're part of that family too. You see, we'll be together forever. I'm tired of this separation stuff. Now... You say, well, I don't believe that. What do you believe is going to happen? You're just going to quit being? If that's the case, you're like Loopy, you better live it up now, baby. I'm, I'm, I'm gambling on Jesus. Be together forever. And, and that's why he says, so encourage each other with these words. <laughs> we as believers need to encourage each other when we lose loved ones, with these words, what? He's coming back. There's a reunion. Now, that doesn't take away that the separation from your family is now. The thing that somebody told me when my dad died is, listen, there's nothing as final as death on earth. It all stops. When he comes... He comes, and we have victory together forever. No more sickness, no more death. I'm tired of all that stuff. Now, let's talk about grieving, and I'll be done. <clears throat> what is unhealthy grieving? Let me give you a little list. Denial, refusing to uh, acknowledge a loss. Um, Unhealthy grieving is risky behavior. It's very common when people love people they love. They start acting risky in their life. That's unhealthy. It could be driving too fast. It could be sex. Substance abuse. People turn to alcohol and drugs. I don't blame them to numb their feeling. It's not right, but that's what it's done. It's unhealthy to use that. Staying too busy. You just stay busy all the time. 
Because you don't want to hurt anymore. Uh, isolation, you don't want to hurt anymore so you don't get around anybody that might help you. You become a control freak trying to control life. Let me tell you something, people. Anything else we ought to learn about life is we can't control it. (laughs) We just can't. And then, of course, a lot of times when you have extreme anxiety and depression from... uh, That's unhealthy. It, It got you there. But don't be ashamed. Please don't be. What is healthy grieving? All right, here we go. Allow your emotions to surface. The Bible says in John eleven thirty five that Jesus did what? Wept. Let me tell you a thing about grief. Just when you think you got it mastered is when it beats you up. <laughs> and let me tell you something. You need, you need to... The second thing, you need to feel your feelings. Let me tell you something. Everybody needs to have a good cry every once in a while. Now, I prefer to cry in private. Julie prefers to cry in private. And I'll tell you what, I'll get those things that I have in my life and like the recordings of my dad and I'll be by myself and I'll just boohoo like a baby. Not bad, it's just healthy. It helps me. A good cry helps you, people. People said, how do you do your, your dad's funeral without crying? I cried a lot before it by myself. I asked my dad one time, how come you never cried... It's your mom's funeral. He says, I cried a lot when you weren't around. Uh, it kind of cleanses your soul. But don't be afraid to let your emotions... Sometimes you're going to be angry. Sometimes you're going to... You know, that my mom died possibly through neglect that we didn't give her. We, we gave her, but the place she was... and I could sit around my brother and I. We'd talk. I'd start to get a little angry. Then I was like, no, not going there. Grief is when you work through all those emotions. You feel your feelings. Sometimes you need to grieve alone. Sometimes you need to grieve with somebody else. Be happy with those who are happy and, and weep with those who weep. Romans twelve fifteen. You need to, when you grieve the loss of a loved one, you need to acknowledge the good. You need to acknowledge the bad. A lot of times we don't want to think bad. No, you need to acknowledge both. You need to accept the reality of what is or was and grieve what is not or may never be. Every grandchild I get right now grieves me a little bit because my mom and dad don't get to know them. Um, Allow time and space for grief. We all differ in how we grieve and how long it takes. I mean, they say... Around two years, you never get over it. Anybody that tells you to get over grief is not telling you the truth. You just learn how to live with it. Ecclesiastes 3, 4 says there's a time to cry and a time to laugh, a time to grieve and a time to dance. It's all that. Uh, You need to allow time and space for grief. Here's another thing. You need to have stones of remembrance. Because what everybody tries to wipe it out of their memory. No, let me tell you what. I brought some stones. Uh, I drink coffee. Drank this morning out of this cup every day. This is my mom's cup. And when I drink coffee out of this cup, I think of my mom. 
it's healthy. Sometimes it's more emotional. Sometimes I don't think about it at all. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a thing of remembrance. In my office, there's all kinds of stuff. Ashburn's ice cream. These are little stones of remembrance. You go in my office, you will see what I remember. My family. Now, you say, Bill, does that bother you? Some days, yes. Some days, no. Being bothered about losing a loved one is good, people. (laughs) means you had something. Uh, I keep this one in there. It's a picture of my mom and me going on Easter Sunday as a two-year-old. I remember my mom gave me a lot of my faith. And then I have on my desk my grandfather's plaque and my dad's plaque and now my plaque. This goes back to 1940s something, I think. I have little, little idol, not idols, memorials all over my house. My office, you say, you're trying to forget. No, I'm not. I remember the good. Sometimes I remember the bad. But I deal with it. You might need that. Here's a couple more things. I'm off track. I sat down. I wrote about nine different sermons. But anyway, here's some things you need to know. I just jotted these down. Because of sin, we live in a broken world. Death is a part of it. Jesus came to fix the broken world. That's why you need him. Okay, number two. God is always good. I hardly ever use God is good when something good goes on because I get tired of that. He's still good when things go bad. God is always good. He's always loving. And he's always just. He's going to do the right things. Now, I've had many family friends that and friends that have rejected Christ. God's still good. God's still just. He did not want that. Number three, allow people who love you to sit with you in your grief. I've been reading about the Jewish practice of Shiva, found in Job chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. And when someone died, what they would do is they would invite their friends to come over, and they were not to give advice. It's the worst thing you can do to somebody that's grieving most time. They were to sit with you in silence and grieve the loss of your loved one. You can read about it in Job 2, 11 through 13, but, you know, every once in a while, what you need when someone dies, what I need when someone dies is I just need you to be there. Sit with me. Here's another one. Don't talk too much. Not the person who lost a loved one, but if you're going to see, listen, don't share your wisdom with people who have lost loved ones. Unless you've been there, done that, and have something to share. Don't tell them their, their loved one, God needed an angel. I hate that one. Because you need them. Um, don't talk too much less is more. Don't use cliches. Hey, point them to God. God loves. God always loves. Number five. Here's what you don't do. I mean, you should do, but most people don't. Look for the good that comes from the bad. Romans 8, 28, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. After my mom and dad died, uh, I sat down one day and just wrote out all the good stuff that came out. 
Now here's the funny thing, you have to look for it. Because a lot of times you don't look for it. Seven, just hang on. When you're grieving, just hang on. Both ends. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend. Don't try to figure out. If I just called the assisted living and told them to do this, I, I did that a thousand times. It doesn't ever solve anything. And here's the other thing, and I'll close with this. Talk to someone who has survived it. <laughs> if, if, if I lose a child, I want to talk to someone at lost a child. If, if I know how to talk to someone about losing a mom, but I don't know how to go to that other area. And the Bible teaches that when you go through, when you go through a hardship and you survive it, you need to help somebody else survive. It, I tell you what, that's redeeming the pain. <laughs> so much more I could say. I just know this. We're going to close with, we're going to have a different kind of invitation. I decided to do it that way. Um, two things I want to invite you. One, if you've never placed your faith in Christ, please do that. That's the only hope you have. Everybody in this room is terminal. But the good news is Jesus gives us life. So maybe you need to talk to me or somebody about that. But here's the other thing I want to do. I'm going to ask Julie to come up. And um, I want us to, to uh, have a time to pray for each other and encourage each other. Maybe you've lost someone. I mean, we all have, but maybe you just want, need someone to pray with you. And so uh, I'm going to ask that you would stand. And, uh, hey, Shannon, can you come play something? Just strum something? I hate to put you on the spot, but... Uh, I just really feel there's always a need to pray for. Maybe you're here, you lost a spouse, maybe you lost a kid, maybe you lost a, a brother, a sister, and you just need someone to encourage you and to pray for you and say, hey, I'm hurting. And then uh, we just want to give an opportunity. And so I'm going to pray, and then Shannon's just going to play whatever God puts on his heart. So let's pray, and then if you need prayer, if you need to pray for someone, you can pray for somebody at the altar. But this is our time to worship him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the truth that you're coming for us. I thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And Father, I thank you that when we're hurting, you allow us to hurt with others who love us. So I give you this time, and I ask that you would move in it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you feel a need to come.